You're listening to a podcast by Change My Relationship, featuring licensed marriage and family therapist and author, Carla Downing. These podcasts are designed to provide you with practical solutions based on biblical truths for all your relationships. Today, Carla will be interviewing a guest who has experienced a relationship problem and successfully worked through it. Thank you for joining us uh, on Change My Relationship podcast. I'm excited to bring you another amazing woman who's had a journey that I think will really help you if you have been involved with anyone who has mental illness. So we're going to talk about how mental illness impacted her marriage. And uh, there will still be a lot of takeaways that you can apply if you've even got a child or a parent or a sibling with mental illness. So uh, welcome, Erin. Thank you so much, Carla. It's good to be here. Yeah, so I'm really excited. We're gonna jump right in. And can you tell me how you met your husband? Yeah, I met my husband uh, about 14 years ago and it was through mutual friends. I had just gotten back from missions trip to India, a short-term missions trip. And some friends of mine knew somebody who or knew Keith, my husband, and said, hey, there's this girl that got back from your country. She goes to your church and you should meet her. So we ended up meeting. And I still remember the first time we met, but I remember the initial thought was, don't like him, he's Indian. And nothing against people of India. I just didn't know if my family would be comfortable with a interracial marriage. So fast forward, about nine months later, we went to India together on a second mission trip. He came with us. There was four of us traveling. And when I got back from the mission trip, I knew he really liked me. But the first thing I did when I walked into my roommates is I said, girls, the one thing I've learned from this mission trip is I would never date Keith. <laughs> so it was this interesting um, thing. But uh, then fast forward again, nine months later, and I was praying about I didn't really like the uh, dating. I just really wanted to be married. And so I prayed about, God, who do you want me to marry? And I went to a small chapel in Idlewild. And when I was praying, there's two different men that I was praying about. One was this guy I really liked and I was always around. And then this other guy, Keith, who was always around me, but I didn't like. I was actually trying to set him up with one of my girlfriends. (laughs) When I was in that time with the Lord, praying and saying, Lord, would you please just tell me who you want me to be with? And he had whispered a small voice in my heart that just said, I want you to be with Keith. And I was like, but I don't want to be with Keith. I want to be with this other guy. And he's like, do you trust me? I was like, Lord, I do trust you. And I had heard that statement in my heart another time, actually, before I went on the first mission trip to India that ended up really changing my life. And I I thought I would actually live in India one day. So I basically walked out of the chapel saying, okay, I trust you, Lord. I don't like him in that American way or with the love feelings that many of us like to feel, but I decided to move forward. Um, Keith was at this retreat that we were at because it was a retreat after we had gotten back from the mission trip. And so we were, when we were driving home from the retreat, our friend Susan, who's about 15 years older than us, who went on the mission trip with us, she was driving my car because we were going down a mountain. And then Keith was in the front seat, and then I was in the back seat. So 
in front of Susan, in front of Keith, I said to Susan, hey, Susan, as someone who's older than me and someone I admire, you know, what do you think about Keith and I being together? And she's like, wow, I think that would be great. Or Aaron, make sure that you don't try to change Keith. He has an emotional side or a, a calm side, and that's really a part of his nature. So as long as you don't try to change that, that would be great. And Keith, for Aaron, she's a natural leader. So as long as you allow her to use her leadership qualities, I think it would be a really great marriage. Keith turns around and says, Aaron, I've been praying for you for nine months to be my wife. And I had just given you up because my heart was just dying inside because you weren't reciprocating the feelings. And I said, well, I believe that God wants us to be together and I'm willing to give this a try. And he's like, I've been praying for you to be my wife. So that's really neat to have someone who's been praying for you for that long. And um, we both believed we were called by God to be together. And a miracle happened in that car that day. So what happened was I was asking for a bottle of water. It was just like an Arrowhead plastic bottle and Keith opened it because it was in the front seat and he passed it back to me and our hands touched and a rush of emotions came over me where I actually was attracted to him and was like, wow, I really like this guy. So it was really neat to have like this intellectual conversation, this obedience to God, and then being able to fall in love and also to know that someone was praying about me too. So that was our love story. And why this is important is because in our marriage, it was very difficult almost from day one. And many times I've gone back to that chapel or back to that car ride to say, did I really hear God? Did I really, did I make a mistake? And so it, it's been a really crucial point in my life to, as we're in different seasons that have been challenging to not give up and to be able to say, you know, when I die, I want to be obedient to what I believe God's called me to. So even though we had 10 years of difficult marriage, I, I'm now starting to see the fruit of that. Wow. Well, how did you know something was wrong and when did that happen? I would love to say that it was longer in our marriage, but it actually was right back when we got back from our honeymoon. On our honeymoon, there was challenges too. Um, but when, when we got home, because we didn't live together prior to marriage, when we got married, I would be making dinner and he would spend hours cleaning or straightening things in the home. So let's say I had dinner at six, we would eat dinner and then he would be cleaning from, you know, like six thirty, seven o'clock all the way to one or two in the morning. And at the worst times in our like first and second year of marriage, he was cleaning 12 to 16 hours a day. Was he working? He was working. Although working is a good thing to talk about because he goes in and out of jobs. So that might be something to touch on. But a lot of people ask me, well, did you see the signs prior to marriage? Mm -hmm. And um, for those of you who asked that question, I want to just say that that's one of the most hurtful questions to ask somebody. It'd be like asking someone, why don't you have children yet? <laughs> you know, right. it's just <laughs> very hurtful. But the re no, I did not see the signs prior to marriage. My husband didn't even know he had a mental health condition. Now knowing what we know now, he realizes he had it as a child, but it didn't manifest to out of control until the trauma occurred, which was a couple months before we got married, where he was disowned by his parents for be, um, becoming a Christian from a Hindu. 
So that trauma, which that's why both of us didn't see it. And then after marriage, a new job, moving, and all the different changes that happen in his life, it spun him out of control. Yeah, that's not unusual for it to just manifest when things just kind of reach a threshold that is too much. So he was cleaning yeah. 12 to 16 hours a day, working. Yeah. You're in a new marriage, didn't leave you much yeah. time to be together or much time right. for relationship. What did you, how did you respond to that? Were you like, at first, yay, he's cleaning and then like, stop. <laughs> I wish, but no, I mean, I, when we were dating, he used to like, create two different dates for us and I got to choose which date. When I was sick, he would take care of me. He came down, I had pneumonia, he took care of me for a week. So I thought because I married the guy that God told me to and he prayed about me that when we get got married, it would be this really wonderful marriage. Like we had done everything quote unquote right. And then what ended up happening was different. So my response was anger rage, frustration. And then I would go to the other extreme of just trying to be busy and denying the whole thing and over-functioning. I, at that time, was doing a master's program, traveling for work, doing an internship, trying to do the things of being a new wife. I was doing ministry and mentoring somebody. Over-functioning, and I'm disgusted by how much I was doing at that time. But the result of that is I burnt out and for an organized person to have your brain literally stop working is the scariest thing ever. But from that, I was able to really grow. And so over the next, you know, seven to 10 years, that's really where learning how to keep myself healthy. If I'm going to choose to stay in this marriage, what do we do in order to do that? What are my needs? What are his needs? And how do we work together towards that? I know you were separated for a while. How did you do that separation and what was the purpose of it? What, what was it? Did you just say, I can't do this if things don't change, take time, or was it time for you? Yeah, great question. So the separation, we've been separated a, two different times in our marriage. So the first time was when he was the sickest between that 12 to 16 hours because I just couldn't, I was crying profusely. And um, we ended up living at a friend's house because my husband's OCD was only in our home, only in things we owned about controlling our environment. So when we were outside the environment, when he could get out of the house, we had a really lovely time together. So we thought at that time, because we didn't understand mental illness, oh, we'll just live at somebody else's houses. And we used to like go between five or six different houses, which for me was exhausting. I went home. I was a woman. Like you just wanted to have a place to rest, but our home wasn't a place to rest. Our more severe separation was we had been praying for Keith to have his dream job and God provided it. He worked for Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. We moved to Atlanta, Georgia, um, and he worked for him for a couple of years. And unfortunately, his, the OCD ended up impacting his ability to keep that job. But still, God provided that. When that job ended and the dream ended, we decided to move back home to California. And you can imagine he basically crashed and was in severe depression. He has depression and OCD, so they feed off of each other. So the depression will cause him to do OCD and the OCD will cause depression. And then he can just lay in bed for, for days and hours. So in that time, you can imagine, I'm also, you know, grieving the loss of this big dream, thinking that this was going to help my husband. And then I was basically having trouble functioning and I'm the breadwinner of the home. I was crying every day. I was having trouble working, like going in between meetings. I have a, a corporate job. 
you know, we have a great community in our life and they're like, it was like three different people within 24 hours of 48 hours saying you need to separate. I feel like there's a demonic presence in this and you, you need to separate and get help. So that separation was for nine months. Did I think it would be that long? No, absolutely not. But I needed that to say, Keith, I love you and I'm committed to this marriage. But in order for me to be committed to this marriage, we have to both be doing our part in this. And it can't just be me trying to overfunction. I need you to be working and managing your condition. And that's a need of mine. I can't just do this and you just go in and out. So I understand you may not be able to do as much as other people that don't have a disability. I'm totally okay with it. But doing nothing is not okay. So at that time, I was praying for men to be in peace life. And, you know, God works in mysterious ways. He brought this man that was from Talbot, prayed every week with him of deliverance prayers over my husband. And then my husband lived with three seminary students. And then he was working with therapists and different things. And so there was all these people coming around him to build him up. And then we worked with a marriage counselor to work towards getting together. Someone wise in my life had said, when you're separated, you need to always have a plan to get back together. Otherwise you won't get back together. And for us, we do want to be married. We believe in our marriage, but sometimes if either of us is not able to be healthy, then we might need a separation in order to get back together. Yes. And I just want to clarify that mental illness is a brain disease. Yes. You're not saying that there were demons that caused his mental illness no. and that that was the cause of it. He is on medication. He's yes. under the care of a psychiatrist. Yes. Um, deliverance par- prayers don't necessarily have to be for demonic spirits. They can be just for like, it, it is a way of treating trauma and yes. it is a way of treating traumatic wounds and things yes. for someone and, and bringing God into that. So okay. I don't want people listening to think that, okay, people that are mentally ill are, it's only because it's caused. Oh, yes, absolutely. So, yes, absolutely. And I totally believe that the way I look at it is my husband's case is pretty complex. And so in order to have that complex case, you've got to be tackling it from all different areas. So physically he's got to be eating right, sleeping right, exercising, Emotionally, he's got to be working on his hurts and trauma from the past. Spiritually, he did come out of Hinduism. His parents are praying to demons to impact him. So that's where the spiritual deliverance comes in. From a medication perspective, he needs to be taking medication. From a a psychotherapy for OCD, the evidence-based treatment is, it's called exposure response therapy. So he has to be doing that. When his depression's kicking in, he's got to do the cognitive behavioral therapy. So in complex cases of chronic mental illness, and especially when there's multiple illnesses, you have to be tackling it holistically. And I definitely, I do not, I am nowhere near that spectrum of, you know, you can just pray it out. Absolutely yes. not. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, so yeah. You talked a lot about in your book, well, about your intimacy and how that was affected yeah. and how difficult that is. Can will you be willing to be honest with that? Sure, absolutely. And my husband is so supportive of us sharing us our story that he says any story I share, I'm able to do except for a few stories. So this is one that I'm able to share. And so yes, we both got married and we were virgins. And I was whether 
it was right or wrong, you know, in premarital counseling and all this stuff, I was told as a good Christian wife, you should be having intimacy with your spouse every three days. Well, what happens when your husband's libido is not as much as yours or the medication is impacting it? My husband's so filled with anxiety or depression that it doesn't happen. So again, I did the same things of anger and rage or frustration and the other of just ignoring the problem and not dealing with it. Once I got healthy enough to say, no, this is a problem, it's a need, um, that was actually the major thing we worked on in our marriage therapy before we got back together during that separation. And so now what we do is those things are still there, those challenges, but we both are in agreement that it's important. So we make it fun now. We will go to hotel rooms once a month or we will plan days to have it. And, and to be honest, sometimes when you plan those days, it still doesn't happen, right? But we look at it as, okay, there might be disappointment on my end or hurt, but it's not that I'm ugly or not beautiful or that he doesn't think that. He thinks I'm beautiful. He, he's very attracted to me. It's just, unfortunately, it's a disability and a brain disorder, just like you said. And so we just say, okay, well, it didn't happen tonight. Let's plan the next time. So I guess it's just being real about where you are in that day, but not putting all your hopes in one basket, but also not ignoring it. <laughs> so, Which is really healthy because you, you want to feel everything. I mean, you want to feel how you're impacted. You want to tell yourself right. the truth. You want to look at the reality. You don't want to deny it, repress it, stuff it down. But then you've got to figure out how to deal with it. And you've got to deal with it in healthy ways, which is exactly what you're doing, even though the situation is, is difficult. You want to make sure that you know, because at the beginning, I think you shared that you felt rejected and you felt ugly and you felt like, yeah, totally, which is the normal thing. But I have many women who tell me that, you know, their husband doesn't want to be intimate with them, whether it's a sexual addiction or some psychological problems or something, and they live in a sexless marriage that's difficult because you do have to set a boundary with that and say, this yep. has to be a part of my marriage, but that is what's helpful. Correct. And I'm sure that wasn't easy. Like you said, you worked on it that whole time, but it was important and it's really good that you've been able to address that. Yeah. And you know, the marriage therapist really helped us. It wasn't a sex therapist because it was just someone that was able to help us both work through the sensitive sensitivities of it. And because it was such a trigger for me, it's, it is the most painful thing in my marriage, even today, the most painful thing. But the healthy thing is I can talk to Keith about it. He understands why it's so painful. And in my culture or our culture, the American culture, sex is such this inundation of elevation of, you know, pivotal things. So when you've saved yourself for that, uh, you have a lot of expectations around it. And then in his culture, because understanding each other's cultures and backgrounds is really important. In his family of orange origin, it wasn't discussed. It wasn't happening. It was never a part of it. And both of us never experienced pornography either. So I have to remember those factors too. Like you have to look at the full story of your marriage. You have to look at what's his background? What's your background? What's cultural differences? and look at what are all the messages you learned. Erin has a book, and we're gonna give you all the information about that at the end of this podcast, so hang on. Her book is Mental Health Strong, and in it you talked about a relationship cycle, and yeah. I wanted you to share about that. Yeah, so 
I think it's because of my corporate background, I'm creating a lot of diagrams. And so when I look at my personal relationship, there's all these diagrams coming out in my head. One of them is this relationship diagram. And so basically there's two people. There's the one on the left-hand side that has the person living with the illness. And that can be a, a mental health condition, you know, anxiety, depression, obsessive compulsive, bipolar, it could be an addiction, you know, alcohol, gambling, sex addiction. And then you have the, the spouse that's trying to, to live with them. So the idea is there's a trigger. Sometimes it's a chemical imbalance. Sometimes it's a good thing. We got back from a Hawaii vacation and he crashed. Sometimes it can be a, a hard thing, you know, like a fight with someone or, you know, stress. And so based upon that, there's different reactions. So the person live with the condition can have a trigger and then do certain behaviors and then they get a choice. You know, do they want to do the destructive patterns or the healthy patterns? And based upon that, then there's impact short-term or long-term based upon the choices they make. So that's their cycle. And then the spouse living with them also has the same thing. So my triggers may not be chemically induced, right? But mine are based upon almost how he responds. And then I can choose, well, do I go down with him or do I choose healthy behaviors? And then based upon that, you go around. And the idea is when both people are making healthy decisions, you're moving towards intimacy and connection. And when you're not making those healthy behaviors and your spouse is not making those healthy behaviors, that's when you're going to feel disconnected and not be intimate. And the intimacy doesn't necessarily mean physical intimacy. That's just intimacy and connection that the marriage relationship should have. Absolutely. And what you're saying is your choice to stay with Keith and to be committed to your marriage, but you had boundaries. And yes. you said, in order to do that, I can't go down with this. I want to be working together and have a healthy marriage. And I think that that's a really good way for people not to look at it. Like you have somebody with mental illness. I always get the question, well, what can I expect of that person? Don't I just have to accept that who that person is? No, you can still ask that that person get help, get treatment, be under the care of a psychiatrist, a therapist, and do all of those things in order to be the best that that person can be and to continue to work with it rather than just say, I just have to tolerate this and take whatever you know, crumbs are thrown my way. So. Yeah, absolutely. And to build off of that, for me, it was like, okay, my therapist would ask me, you know, what's the bare minimum? And even in your class, Carla, I took your boundaries class and it was super helpful. And so the idea was just like, okay, what's the bare minimum I need in order to stay in this relationship? And for me, it's Keith knows he has to be managing his condition. Doesn't mean he won't have highs and lows with it, but the idea is he's working towards managing it. That doesn't mean it doesn't impact him. And then the other thing is we work towards you know, loving each other and caring for each other. And for me, that's, you know, respecting him. And for him, it's respecting me too, because sometimes I feel disrespected. So the idea is, you know, to really have that care, love, respect in the relationship, and then the managing the health. And for him, he has the same thing of me. He's like, I cannot live with your anger and rage and criticism. It destroys him. I destroy him. And, you know, even though I'm sharing this right now, I'm not saying I've arrived. I still struggle. I just struggle mm -hmm. less. And I know how to bounce back. But the idea is that I also have to do my part in the relationship and not make his depression work. If I criticize him, 
or I try to control him or project manage him, I know he's going to have a day that he can't do much. So I definitely have a role. I'm one of probably the most important person in his life and can either help his illness or make it worse. Oh, very good way to look at that. You've got a chart in your book that says oh. your role, not your role. That's to the person that's reading yeah. the book. The person reading the book, this is your role. This is not your role in helping yeah. your family member, loved one with mental illness. Can you talk right. about Absolutely. So my role is to control my thoughts, my behaviors, my actions. My role is to walk alongside Keith, but it's not to change him. My role is to set boundaries. My role is to keep my side of the fence clean. My role is to work on my health. I also have, you know, hurts and habits and hangups from my background. What's not my role? To manage Keith, to compensate for him, to enable him, to make him worse. I have a daily reminder that I read is like, Keith is responsible for his condition and his health. Yes, and that's hard. And then the other thing, sometimes people have their loved one will forget to take the medication, really yes. bad at the uh, medication management. Do you deal yes. with that? Absolutely, we do. Okay. And we also deal with, uh, I don't think the medication's working. He goes to a psychiatrist with that, right? Yeah, so the way we, you know, I'll ask him every once in a while, are you taking your medication? And he'll say yes or no. Sometimes he might tell me yes and he's not actually taking it. What ends up happening is I see the signs when he's stopping his medication. Exactly. And if he doesn't take one of his medications after three weeks, he will be crying like a baby. Like, I know that. And I think he's starting to trust me with it, but it took us about 10 years to find the right medication. So it does take a while. And they also say medications can stop working. Yeah. My husband also would love to get off his medication. And I said, that's fine. If you want to work towards that, you need to work doing that with your psychiatrist. You can't just stop at cold turkey. And you need to make sure you have other things in your life. You're sleeping right. You're eating right. You're doing exercise and all these other things. I'm not saying that the medication is the fix it all, but it does help you and you need to do that under the supervision of the doctor. You can't just, just decide not to take it. When you do that, we have impacts from it. And he may so. not be able to get off of it. There are people that yeah, have, there are people. have that medication. Yep. And totally. so if that, I mean, and there are medication side effects and, and they are awful. You have an impact of one of those and that they can affect sexual intimacy. But if medication is necessary, then that has to be a boundary because otherwise things are not working. It's not effective. And I guess what I would say to that is I still can't control that he's going to take his medication. Maybe with a child you can, you can put it yeah. in their food or blah, blah, blah. But like as a spouse, again, this is why I wrote this book is because I felt like a lot of the advice I was getting was more about in a child parent relationship, but wasn't the spouse relationship. So just like with any adult, if they don't do the right things, they're going to have natural negative consequences from it. Now, my role is to, if I, Let's say my spouse was bipolar and got off the medication and then has a spending problem, right? So then what I would do is I would control the finances to protect ourselves if he stops taking his medication, et cetera. So in our case, like I know certain things that will happen when he stops medication. So I then put those things in place that I can control. You know, I might remind him or whatever, but again, I'm not going to every day, are you taking your medication or not? I just, maybe some people want to do that, but for me, 
it puts me in this mother child role and it's not healthy for me or him. Yeah. That totally blows intimacy and the marital yeah. relationship. And then he'll build intimacy because you're his mom, you're telling him right. what to do and you're not his doctor and it, it can spiral down. Some people sometimes have to start with that when the person is in such a bad state that they truly are incapable of even remembering to take their medication. But that is not something you want to do on, definitely on an ongoing level at all. Now, you mentioned work. You said we need to talk about work. Well, tell me about how this impacts his work in your life. So we had where basically every couple of years he'd be in and out of a job. And his struggle is getting to work on time. And if you don't get to work on time, you can lose your job. Now, even with ADA, there's been some parameters that employers have made with us. But then if he can't keep what he agreed upon with the employer, then it loses his job. So this was really hard for me because one, our culture expects the man to work. I expect him, you know, in different things. But then how do I respect his dignity that this is a brain disorder? This is a disability. If someone was in a wheelchair, I wouldn't expect them to run. So if someone has a brain disorder, again, a severe one, which is what we live with, what is a rightful expectations? Well, I decided to research it. My mom actually had found a statistic through NAMI, which is the National Alliance of Mental Illness. And what percentage do you think of people with severe chronic mental health conditions, and that's bipolar, schizophrenia, OCD, panic disorder, and major depressive disorder, what is the percentage that they will work? What do you think it is, Carla? Oh, I think it's low. It's maybe 25%. You're right on. So 22%, and that is the work. What's full-time job? Oh, probably five, three. It's 11. It's 11. half of it. 11. Yeah. So when I look at that statistic, 90%, my husband is 90% likely to not have a full-time job. 90%. Wow. 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 So now it's like, okay, what do we do with that, right? Well, you do need to grieve it, right? You got to deal oh, with your emotions yeah. with that and your loss of expectations, but once you move through that, then you can say, okay, what do we do with that problem? Mm -hmm. Okay, so what do we do? Here's where we're at. We have purposely lived off of one income. We purposely bought a house that's smaller. We have a budget that we stick to. So when he is working, it's extra income that we save for when he's out of work. And then now we're actually having like, what is success? Success isn't him having a full-time job forever. Success is him not giving up and continuing to try to work and learning new skills as he works. Just like if I struggle with my weight, which I do, or I struggle with my anger, I don't like just learn it and then have success forever, right? I go back and forth. I think that that's a really awesome way of looking at that, of redefining what success is for him, yep. which is encouraging to him and yep. also helps you not to have unreasonable expectations because that's one of the things that make us crash. How did we meet? 10 years ago, my husband was at Talbot School of Theology studying there and I was a, uh, belonged to Talbot Wives and you had spoken there. And I remember when you were speaking, it was the first time I had heard in the Christian community that you can have difficult Christian relationships and that you're not crazy. Because I, again, had, I would say, distorted thinking that if you do the right thing, you will therefore not have trials. But when you actually look in the Bible, that's not true at all. But that is what I thought. 
I remember crying just hearing you because I was like, oh my gosh, like I could have heard from God and yet I can still have trials and both can be true. And you really touched me there. And then I started to follow some of your work. So I went to your class, I got your book and I attended the difficult marriages. And then, you know, as you bring out new content, I read that and then I've taken your boundaries class. So yeah, your content's fantastic. And I just want to thank you for your ministry because it was one of the catalysts on my growth journey. Because when I was in that season, that's when I burnt out. So I was in this process of learning and growing and you were in the beginning stages of that. The way that that affects you to have that belief that if I'm a Christian, I won't have trials. So the implication of that is what am I doing wrong that I have this problem in my marriage? And like you said, a very common question was, I did God really bring us together or was this my own not hearing God correctly? That sets up this whole like crisis in your relationship with God and how do I trust what I feel God is telling me? How do I trust God's care for me? I mean, there's just so much with that. So do you now feel like God brought you together for a purpose? I do. I really do. And the thing that really helped me is that when God had said the, do you trust me to me at that, the second time with Keith, I had heard it one more time before. I think if I hadn't heard it the time before, I don't know where I would be today with that, but I truly believe he did have a reason for bringing us together and that our marriage had to go through these 10 years of difficulties in order to learn the skills and the empathy and to be the team that I believe he has us to be. And we're just now seeing the fruits of the trials. Tell us now then about your ministry and your book. And then I want you to kind of explain your acronym of Mental Health Strong, MH Strong in your book that are the principles that you try to teach people. Absolutely. So Mental Health Strong is now a book and a nonprofit and a support group. It's out there to bring hope and resources to marriages with mental health and addiction challenges. And the reason why is when I looked for things, um, there really wasn't a lot of resources out there. Uh, A lot of this, so if I went to marriage things, uh, they would say meet each other's needs. Well, when your spouse is sick, they can't meet your needs. And then when I went to mental health things, a lot of the support groups were about an adult child or a child with a mental illness rather than a spouse. And then when I found the statistics, there's a worldwide study of marriages with mental health and addiction challenges. And you have a 20 to 80% likely to get divorced, 80% if you're in that severe chronic. So the reason why there wasn't a lot of people in these support groups is because they were likely getting divorced. So again, if, you, if you're listening to this and you've gotten a divorce, there's no shame with it. There, was, right. there wasn't a lot of resources. And we're not going to be able to save every marriage either. The idea is that people get choices, but let's at least give people the resources and the support so that they can move forward. We have a virtual support group that's once a month on Tuesdays. So you're welcome to join that. And then the uh, book's available and our website, www.mentalhealthstrong.com has all the resources that are in the book as well. And one of them listed is, is Carla's work at Change My Relationship. And my husband built the website, you know, and just so, so neat. He's so supportive of this work and, and being a part of it. Mental Health Strong. Mental Health Strong. Give us yeah, the, so, what that stands for. 
So mental health strong are the eight steps that worked for me to be able to walk alongside my husband where I want to be in this marriage and we love being with each other. And it was really my journey as I'm meeting other people and sharing these steps, it seems that they're also going through similar steps. Share those eight steps with you. So the first one is M, make the diagnosis clear. The idea is that you need to understand what is the diagnosis so you can know what is the right treatment for that diagnosis. So if you have cancer, you wanna use the cancer treatment not the diabetes treatment. So if you have OCD, you want to use that treatment versus, you know, something else. Wasted a lot of money just doing talk therapy with folks and not using the evidence-based treatment for OCD. So that's really important. Know the diagnosis and then know the right treatment. Uh, the second step is H. So MH. H is help for you and then your spouse. And I say help for you first, because if you're not healthy, you can't help your spouse. A lot of times we try to change our spouse first and that doesn't work. And so you need to change you first. That, a lot of that's going to be about self-care and boundaries and different things. So you need to help for you first. And that can also be knowing your triggers. So I struggle with anger and codependency and weight. And so those are the things that I have to continue to monitor in my own. And then I can help my spouse. S third step, set boundaries. So the idea is you need to be able to set boundaries. For us today, this involves time management. So if we have something to go to, we'll say, you know, we're going to leave at this time. And I'll say, if you're not ready by this time, I'm going to leave and, and being okay with that. doesn't mean I'm not disappointed or whatever, but the idea is that we set boundaries and it allows me to not be controlled by the illness, regardless of the choices that my husband makes, if it's controlling him. T, take time for self-care. This is the fourth step. It's really important to refuel. So when someone has a disability, just like if a child had Down syndrome or was, you know, struggling with autism, like you have to refuel in order to keep your best self. So taking time for self-care. And someone special in my life had said, create a list of these things. So when you're having a hard time, you can actually go to the list and make sure those lists of things are things you can actually do. So don't put like travel to Italy and it's really expensive and you can't really do it. So practical things that you can go to. R, remember to grieve. This was probably the most instrumental step. I always thought grieving was with death. And what I learned is grieving is for any loss where your reality is different than your expectations. And so I had a lot of grieving to do that the, what I expected my marriage to be is different than what it was. And the expectations of what I thought my spouse could do, he was not able to do to the condition. Now, that doesn't mean my marriage is bad. We love our marriage now. But I had to grieve in order to get to that spot. And you can't skip the grieving step. <laughs> and you yeah, have to go to the pit. You can't skip it. <laughs> right. It is the only way to get to acceptance only way exactly but yet it's where the piece yeah. that people are hearing in your voice yeah. that are listening only comes from getting to acceptance and that only comes from working these steps and working all the way through the grief process yeah and it's interesting with grief because i went to counseling for a year and my therapist said my goal is to make you cry every time i see you and and she did so every week for a year i was crying i was like Arne done grieving. I went to a marriage conference. I was crying the whole time. And the leader came up to me and she said, Erin, I think you need to grieve more. And I said, I've been grieving for a whole year. 
I was like, how much more? And she's like, I don't know, but we have friends that do this thing called spark of life retreat. It's a free retreat for grieving. I think you should go on it. And I went on that and I learned the grief recovery method and it was life changing. And I can now use that over and over and over again. Uh, and, and so that was really impactful for me. And ever since that, I was able to move forward. It's an evidence-based program for grief. Wow, so that I was, awesome. so that's grief. Oh, own the journey ups, downs, ins and outs. Oh my goodness. So there's two steps forward and two steps back, four steps forward, two steps back. But the idea is you're on a journey. What I find with mental health and addiction challenges, and Carla, I don't know if you would agree with this since you're a therapist, so you've seen more of this, but I feel like the highs and lows, like in these type of marriages, there's bigger highs and bigger lows, and there's more lows than there are highs than other marriages. You have to know that and just know when you're in a high, you're probably going to have a low. And when you're in a low, there's, there can be a high, um, but to not get discouraged at each of the stages. And the idea is to bring safety, humor, and peace into the home. Safety, humor, and peace. So safety, both of you need to be safe. Throwing things, I've pushed my husband in a closet, um, things that I'm not, whatever the word is. I'm not proud of. Thank you. I'm like, what's the word? Proud of you have to forgive yourself and understand what drove you to that process exactly. and that's really not who you are it's the craziness of the dysfunction and the effect right. of mental illness or anything yeah. that's dysfunctional on a marriage and it is a wild ride like you said yeah. it is it's a wild ride so you know the more we grow the more we can bring more safety into the home that can be physical safety emotional safety etc and so making sure there's safety humor we both laugh at the illness. I, I haven't actually said this in this Zoom call yet, but the idea is that you need to be able to laugh at the illness and separate the illness from the person. So the idea is both Keith and I will laugh at the things he does that are the obsessions and compulsions. And we have fun with it. And the idea is we can be mad at the illness and also laugh at the illness. And the main thing is make sure both people are laughing. So your spouse yes. doesn't feel they're laughing. <laughs> yeah, that would not be good. So in your book, you wrote an amazing letter to the OCD. Oh, yes. And yeah. that was just awesome. But really, I could see therapeutically how well, how much that would help you to externalize the illness. The illness is not key. Yes. The illness is what's robbed you of all this thing, all these things in your marriage and caused exactly. all the struggle. And Keith doesn't like the illness either. I mean, it's really no. hard to have OCD and depression or any mental illness. So it helps you recognize the difference between the person without the disease and the person who has to struggle with the disease. Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. I thought that was very powerful. So now the next one you have is the N. And not again, expect relapses. Ooh, <laughs> nobody my, wants to hear is- that. <laughs> This is my mom's favorite uh, step. She said, not again, expect relapses. So the idea is if there's mental health or addiction challenges, you need to expect that there's going to be a relapse. I would guess that very few people basically learn their mental illness and never have a relapse. So the idea is not to, the idea is to plan for them, plan for those relapses. And what are you going to do? When do you need to call in your doctors? When do you need to call in your support team? When do you need to call in other people. And the idea is you need to have a team. It can't be one person. You will burn that one person out. You've got to have a comprehensive team 
that includes the medical professionals, your, your church team, your Bible studies, your friends, your family, and really that comprehensive team so that when the relapse occurs, you know what to do. And actually the definition of mental health strong is when your spouse goes down in a relapse and you don't go down with them. Spouse goes down, you don't go with them and you can get there. I'm there and Carla's there and other people are there and you can do that. But I like the idea of expecting a relapse. I've got a daughter with severe mental illness who's 28 and okay. it is very painful to see her go down. It is yep. really painful. And if yep. I don't remind myself that this is a part of the mental illness and that there will be an up and this is not a forever because when you're dealing with somebody forever uh, or mentally ill, especially with depression, it feels forever to them and they feel hopeless and you right. can go right there with them and then you're not helpful. Absolutely. Yep. Expecting those relapses. And just like we would live with like weight loss. How many times do we go up, go down. do well and down, go up and down? So it's yes. the same sort of thing. A Saddleback Church, one of their mental health pastors actually has a schizophrenia diagnosis. And he said it took them seven years of going in and out of hospitals, seven years, seven or seven relapses to get him to where he knew he needs to take his medication and different things. So the idea is that relapses will occur to plan for them. Yes. And then G. And then G. So the gift of mental health. So the idea is once you do these steps, you can really see the gift of what you've learned and your relationship with your spouse and the work that you guys can do together. And, you know, we truly believe that each marriage is a unique marriage because each individual is a unique individual. And therefore, there's work that your marriage can only do because of who you are as two people. And so the idea is to figure that out together. And whether someone has a disability or not, you can still impact the world and make it a better place. The idea is figuring that out together, but you can't skip to that place. No. <laughs> Got to go all through each of the things that you've talked about. And you're going to have a journey. Like you said, there's going to be a time when it's going to be just you know, burying yeah. you both. Yeah. And you've got yeah. to figure out how do I make this work in my marriage? And you have to have a partner, like you said, who works with you. Oh, and no. I love that Keith has boundaries for you, that yeah. you can't do those things to me mm -hmm. because right. that is reciprocal and that's healthy. And that means that he's taking responsibility for his own needs and it works really great. So this has been like an awesome interview. Thank you so much. I know so many people so are going to be health. Is Mental Health Strong, A Christian's Guide to Walking Resiliently Alongside Your Spouse with a Mental Health Condition. And her name is Erin Ramachandran. Did I say that right? Perfect. Perfect. Okay. So it's R-A-M-A-C-H-A-N-D-R-A-N. I'm going to have that in the notes with this podcast. Yep. And then her website again is www.mentalhealthstrong.com. And she's got all kinds of resources and I know she'd love to hear from you. And her group is on Tuesday evenings. It's at seven Pacific seven. Standard Time on the first Tuesday of the month. So we have first one Tuesday of the month. Yep, first day, Tuesday of the month. Join at any time. Anytime. And has it is for the spouse. So it can be male or female, but it's the spouse who Married is walking family. alongside the other. Some of the spouses do have a mental health condition too, but they're really, it's about how do they do the mental health strong steps to support their spouse. To, to support their spouse in the marriage. Yep. Okay. 
I will have all that written in the notes. So I just want to thank you for thank being you. here again, Aaron. And thank you for those of you that are listening for once again listening. Aaron did refer to my book that she bought and was helped by, and that is my 10 yep. life saving principles for women in difficult marriages, which I also teach as a class. And uh, your book is available on Amazon, right? It is. Yep. Okay. Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Target. Yep. Okay. Yep. Very good. Target. That's awesome. Yay for yeah. you. Fantastic. Okay. Well, thank you again. And thank you for listening. And I hope to see you the next time. So thank you for listening to this interview on change my relationship. We hope you will subscribe to these podcasts and share them with your friends. Carla would love to hear from you. She welcomes ideas for future podcasts, as well as your feedback on how the podcast have helped your life and relationships. You can email her at Carla at changemyrelationship.com. For more information on Change My Relationship and Carla Downing's ministry, including her books, studies, devotionals, podcast, and YouTube videos, visit changemyrelationship.com. Mm-hmm.